Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out Single Grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have Stumble Upon CEO Mark Bartels. Mark, how are you doing today? Good, thanks Eric. Good to be here. Great. So, what did you, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background first and then we'll talk about Stumble Upon. Great. Yeah, so born in South Africa, I'm qualified as a, a chartered accountant in, in South Africa. I call myself a recovering accountant. Then moved to, uh, moved to the Bay Area around 2004 and uh, got into some mergers and acquisitions, um, working with some private equity groups while I was with Deloitte and & Touche. And then moved over to StumbleUpon in 2008 as the uh, CFO. And uh, then we spun ourselves out from eBay. Which was which was really interesting, and, and I learned a ton. Um, we recapitalized the company, and uh, then I became CEO at the beginning of 2013. And so it's been about a year and three quarters now. Wow, great! Yeah, why don't you talk? You know, let's talk about StumbleUpon a little bit. Can you give the audience a little insight as to what StumbleUpon is and how it helps them exactly? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, on the consumer side, we, we still very much stick to our roots, which is one-click recommendations. You, you click the StumbleUpon button, uh, um, you get a great piece of content. And it's that one-click discovery of sequential recommendations that keep people coming back. On, on the business side, we, we're, we're at the moment, we're number five in terms of distribution of social media traffic to, to websites. So we're a big driver of traffic. And we also then allow advertisers to pay for distribution as well. So one in 10 stumbles is going to be a piece of paid content. And we actually monetize that incredibly well. So we've got the consumer side, which is one-click discovery, which is the precursor to search. And then on the, the business side, you've got a distribution platform, which you can then pay for as well. So those are the two things that we concentrate on. Got it. And how, you know, how many users approximately does StumbleUpon have today? So we have, at the moment, we've got about 30, 35 million registered users. Wow. Um, we're seeing a huge push on, onto the mobile front, and the majority of our activity now is on mobile. Um, and we've seen that transition, as everybody else has, over the last year and a half to two years, as there's been this huge shift to, to smartphones and tablets. StumbleUpon has been perfectly suited for, for that transition, which has been great, that whole lean-back you know, click a button, get something great, and be entertained. So it's good to be moving with the flow that everybody else is seeing. You know, that, that transition to mobile is not ex- exactly always the easiest thing, especially when you have 35 million users. So can you talk a little bit about that transition? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, StumbleUpon started off as a Mozbar extension. 
where you know, that was where we, we rode a lot of our growth earlier on because Mozbar was the leader when it came to browsers. StumbleUpon was heavily promoted. People would download the Mozbar. We would then we would then be packaged as part of that, and we saw some hyper growth. Um, we then started to see the shift from downloadable extensions to um, more web-based, uh, more web-based stumbling, where you saw Chrome hit the market really hard and start to take a lot of market share. And so that was our transition from a downloadable extension to just a web web-like experience, which was still good because people would you know, but people would have to come to StumbleUpon and click the button. While when you had the browser extension, it was persistent and it was right next to the back button on, on the browser. So you would think about clicking back, you click Stumble. Our, the next transition then was into mobile. And I think initially we were a little slow to get into mobile. Um, and also because publishers and content creators were also try, trying to adapt to mobile. And pages weren't rendering very quickly. And so it wasn't an ideal experience. And what we found is now that we've invested very heavily into iOS and Android, we've seen that at the same time publishers and, and content creators have caught up. And so the stumble experience continues to get better and better because we serve up the page in its native format. We don't, we don't package that content into, um, you know, we, we don't package, package the text and put it into separate content. So the speed at which it renders is really important for us. And then the next thing was that with, with search, you've got to type in something because you want something. With discovery, it's the, again, it's that precursor, but we want it to be really simple where it's just a swipe. Or it's just a gesture, and you get something. You get something new, and so that's where again mobile is working for us. Um, you're seeing that with StumbleUpon, and you're seeing that with our, our new video recommendation product as well, where it's just one swipe, and you get something good, and then you can react to that. Which um, again, the timing is working nicely for us. And um, Eric, I'll, I'll quickly go on to one other area, which is with mobile. What you've also seen is you started to fragment the search environment. In the past, when web was king, you would type in, type in a search query, Google would take you to, um, to that particular page. Now, with, with mobile, that whole ecosystem is being fragmented, and publishers are now looking for other ways for um, platforms to drive traffic to their mobile, their mobile applications. And that's, again, where StumbleUpon's coming in, because that's exactly what we do. So I find that... Um, Yes, that's where users are going, but I find that the greatest content now is also starting to move to mobile, so that suits us. Got it. Thanks for an explanation. And I've been a StumbleUpon user, I think, ever since since college or maybe even high school. And you know, it's it's interesting. You know, perhaps you can share some information here on you know what what are people you know what's like the most popular type of content on, on StumbleUpon, just out of curiosity. Yeah, so it's the usual suspects. You you look at our top five categories. It's humor. Bizarre oddities, food and cooking, entrepreneurship, technology, um, and you also find that that's sometimes sculpted by um, the founders because you know you had the, these young founders in Canada starting the company, and a lot of them, a lot of the topics were technology focused. And what we've seen is we, as we broaden that, um, you start to invite other users into the experience as well. And the demographic is still very much eighteen to twenty-four year olds. We are seeing a, a push into um, a stronger female demographic, slightly older female demographic, which is great as well, because you find that um, on the female side, it tends to people tend to share more, uh, they tend to be more so 
social, while the males tend to be more lone wolves. They tend to discover and bookmark for themselves. And so to build a healthy community, you want a good balance of people who share, but also people who are very active at the same time. Because very active users ingest a lot of content into the corpus, which then strengthens the corpus and the quality. But you also want people who share a lot and discuss the content, because that then invites other people into the community as well. Got it. So, you know, you talked a little bit about the past. I mean, I mean you know, there's, you had the, you had the Moz bar, you know, the, the Chrome extension and things like that, you know, for mobile, mobile, you know, go, just going back to the mobile discussion for a little bit, you know, how are you guys acquiring users through mobile right now? So the majority of our traffic for, um, for mobile comes, obviously app stores are, are, are great funnels for us uh, and they always will be. I think they I think overall the world, has changed for app stores a bit. Two, three years ago, if you were promoted in the app store, that was a huge surge. Now it's just table stakes. You have to. There's 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 a ton of competition in the in the in the app store to get to get um, to use that as your primary traffic acquirer. We don't pay for traffic at the moment, and one of the the, the things that really helps something like StumbleUpon is when people find great content. The first thing they want to do is share that content. So they tend to use Twitter, Facebook email and funnily enough still a lot of people will cut and paste the link from the browser put it in an email and send it out and so what we find is friends and family and you know what people are now calling this dark social network which is not just your traditional Facebook and Twitter but but networks that people have internally um, people will click on the link they'll come into the experience and then we'll prompt them to download the the application because we find that um, we find that once you ha- once you've downloaded the the app and it's and it's um, and it's on the phone um, and you have that first session and we get you to connect with a few people, the probability of you coming back is really high. And the other thing we've we've concentrated on is um, building out the community and allowing you to share that content because we know that that's a great growth funnel for us because once people share. The experience of a visitor coming in, that first-time experience for someone experiencing StumbleUpon has to be fantastic. And you've got to get them to then download the, download the application. You know, backtracking a little bit just again, you know, you coming from an accounting slash finance background, you know, I have a lot of friends in, in kind of the, the finance world too. How does someone transition from, you know, doing accounting to becoming a CFO to eventually becoming a CEO? Kind of what are, I guess, short, short question would be, you know, what was that experience like from transitioning to CFO to CEO and what did you learn from it? Yeah. So first of all, you've got to be curious about the space. And this is the thing that, um, this is the thing that I found in, in when I moved to the Valley was that we, we are quick to, we quick to label people. So we quick to say, well, you're a designer or you're an engineer or you're a finance guy. And if you're willing to, to drop the label and, and ask yourself, well, what am I interested in? And for me, it was I was interested in community, I was interested in social, I was interested in consumer web. And so that was where I was passionate. And I think if you're going to join a smaller company, and when I joined Stumble, there were 16 people. And joining a company at that size, it doesn't matter if you're in finance or if you're in marketing or if you're in engineering, you touch everything. And so that becomes an education in itself. And so my advice to people who, who want to transition out of um, a specific label or a specific role is if you join a small startup, you will see everything. You will understand, you know, what does growth mean? What does engagement mean? You know, what are the product managers doing? 
What, why are we hiring engineers? And okay, so what does a product marketing manager do? And all of those things are things you learn when you're, when you're in a small company. I think the danger is, is when you get into a big company, and by big I mean 2,000, 3,000 people, you tend to be very siloed. And so that becomes, it becomes really hard then to jump into, into other areas. But we see this at Stumble a lot where people will join, especially on the marketing side, people will join on the marketing side and they'll transition into a really solid product manager. If they're passionate about the product, they're passionate about the space, and they're prepared to do some, some investigation. So my advice to people would be be curious and put your hand up and start to understand how the rest of the company is working because you can go a number of directions. You can end up, if you, you know, from, a, from a CFO point of view, you, you tend to see a lot of transitions, in, transitions into a COO role, which is you know, I'm going to handle HR, I'm going to handle finance, I'm going to handle everything other than product and engineering. Um, I just find that's interesting stuff, but the re- the real meat is 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 understanding the product and understanding the engineering side of the business. And so, so that was where I transitioned into, and I was lucky enough to work with with you know very engaged founders and people I could learn from, um, and then transition into that role. It's almost like startups, you know, an early stage startup. It's almost like going to college again, where you know you you get to dip your head or dip your hands in so many different things and, and kind of decide what you really want to do in the long term, right? Absolutely. I mean, Mark's sister from both sides of the table wrote a, a great piece that I still share with people when they're asking about what they should do and which career they should go into. It's called "Should I Learn or Earn?" And mm-hmm. I think you get to a point in your career where you should earn, and you've 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 developed enough experience, but Earlier on, I always say to people, look, are you looking to learn? And if you're looking to learn, then sometimes you've actually got to take a step back in your career. I mean, when I joined StumbleUpon, I took a massive pay cut. And that was because I wanted to get into the space. And someone has to underwrite you when you move into a space like this. And you've got to be prepared to make a sacrifice as well. And so it's. I really do think that... Um, you can develop some best practice. There is a downside to joining a company too small. And I think sometimes you see this where people will come straight out of university and they'll join a 10-person startup and they'll maybe get into to, to any, any one of the disciplines um, where you sometimes miss out on some of the best practice that you do get at Google, at Microsoft, at Yahoo, where the best practice you develop at these bigger companies is working with solid, experienced veterans where they will, they'll be able to say, okay, Mark, this is how you do a deal, or this is how Agile should work, or this is what a, uh, a PRD looks like. And I sometimes feel that people miss that step when they jump in straight into a startup. So there's nothing wrong with going to a bigger company for two to three years to develop some of that, or at least hiring in more senior people where that mentorship can still happen. Because... It's, you've got to be careful that you don't miss a step sometimes and find yourself, you know, as a startup veteran but lacking some of the startup skills. Okay. So let, let's give you a hypothetical situation. You know, I, I, you know, let's say I come out of college. You know, my goal is to be in finance. I want to make, you know, 100, 150K, something like that. Um, you know, but, you know, what would your advice be to them in terms of the, the size of the, of, of the startup they should be joining? Um, you know, and what would you tell them in yeah. terms of, I'll just go ahead and let you answer that first. Yeah, so if you're in, if you're, let's, let's just say finance. If you're in finance and one of the things you've got to first detach from is um, starting with your salary. So 
you, you've got to decide where do I, what am I passionate about? Where do I want to work? You know, and if you're in San Francisco, you're in a company town, so you know you you you, you, you know it's, it's probably going to be one of the internet-based companies. And I, and I I see this a lot, right? Where people get hung up on title. What you've got to say to yourself is, okay, where do which space do I want to work in? Where do who do I and then who do I want to work for? And I was lucky enough at at Stumble to you know I worked under Michael Bure, who was the then CEO of StumbleUpon, and. He was fantastic. He was a he was a great mentor. Um, he's someone I still talk to today, who could really start to guide me through how to think about these things. It was the same thing with Dave Feller, who was the VP of marketing. He's now gone on to start Yamly. Again, just someone who had been there and done it, who I could then um, work with. And so, when I'm looking at what type of company to join, you have to look at the type of people that you're going to be working for. Who are going to be your mentors there? And that's the, I think that's the first question you've got to ask yourself. Get to salary and get to that type of stuff later. Um, you know, Sheryl Sandberg said this. I mean, you know, I think we've all heard this quote about when she joined Google. You know, she was thinking about title and so on. Eric Schmidt said to her, look, when you're going to join a rocket ship, just get on. And I think that's, that's the important thing. I, I think another interesting thing that I see in the Valley is that people don't do enough diligence on the company they're joining. They, they tend to get excited about the role, they tend to get excited about who they're working with, and they don't ask that second level of questions, which is, can you show me a redacted board deck? Can you show me what the numbers look like? What do your projections look like? And even, you know, if, you, if you're joining as a slightly mm. senior person, you could even say, you know, do I, would you mind if I had a conversation with the board member? Not to let them sell me, but I'd like to ask some, some questions or and it, it, it's very telling what the company will do. Well, now I'm happy to, to share a redacted board deck with, with a potential employee because I think you should do diligence on, on the company you're joining. And you should understand where it's going over the next two years because, as you said earlier, Eric, this is your MBA in a sense. And so you want to be joining a company where you truly are going to be learning and you learn when you scale. You don't learn when a company is you know, at a resting state because that's not where the fun is and that's not when the hardship is. The hard stuff's when a company's growing, you're hiring a lot of people, and you, now your role starts to change and you start to either adapt or die. And that's the interesting part, seeing who can scale and who stays the same. Got it. And I love it. Um, so, you know, let, let's, talk about, let's talk about 5 by for a little bit. Can you tell us what 5 by is and uh, what's going on with that right now? Yeah, so 5 by is... Uh, Great story. I uh, last year um, I got a, an email from someone saying, "Mark, you've got to meet this guy, Greg Eisenberg. He's he's up in Canada. He started this uh, video recommendation company, and he had a lot of similarities to to StumbleUpon. And one of the the principles we have at StumbleUpon, it's also because we're a discovery company, is that you do not sign NDAs when you come to this company. If you come in for a meeting or you're a vendor, you do not sign an NDA." Uh, and that's because we, we like to create and promote an open environment where people come in to learn. And so, you know, Greg came in and, you know, I didn't see him as a competitor. I just saw him as someone who I could sit down with and maybe learn something. Um, and it was amazing because Greg was trying to solve the same problems we were trying to solve. Because discovery is this, it's, first of all, it's a different beast to your normal utility type of environment like search. And then on top of that, Greg was looking at one vertical, which was video. And it was swipe, see a video, share the video. 
And we were dealing with the same things. What do you do with community? What do you do with sharing? How do you get people back into the service? So people have very long sessions on StumbleUpon. But one of the problems we saw early on with StumbleUpon is the number one reason people stopped using us was they forgot about us. And so we had to think about ways to bring you back in. And Greg was asking the same questions. And so he left, went back to Canada. A couple of months went by. I then learned that Greg was back in Silicon Valley. And it's a small town. So uh, I reached out to him and said, hey, why don't you come in? Um, his team was looking at maybe coming down to, to SF. And I said, well, why don't you come into StumbleUpon? And uh, we, we're trying to solve the same thing. Um, you can incubate within the company. Um, you can grow this brand as a separate vertical within SU. And at the time, a lot of other stuff was happening, right? Instagram was part of Facebook. You know, WhatsApp hadn't happened yet. But uh, you know, we was, we, I'd even seen Tinder within IAC, you know, started to, to be incubated. And so it was starting to be quite a popular thing. And so it was easy for me to sell that internally into the board. And so Greg came on. Uh, we moved the team down from, uh, from Canada, uh, which was important too. I wanted the team in the same office to stumble upon. Because with M&A, what you want to do is you also want, when you bring in a small team like that, it's got to benefit the bigger company too. You've, I see it as a talent and energy injection into um, the bigger company, which is StumbleUpon. And at the same time, there's a lot of learning that we have around content recommendations from duplicates to spam to scaling a corpus that we thought we could help um, five by on. And so Greg brought the team down. Um, we launched in February of 2013. Uh, we were promoted in Apple and Android, which was fantastic. Um, and then Greg started working on um, the new conversations um, side of the of the platform, which was we saw that a lot of people were finding great videos and then sharing it via SMS, which A, was interesting because they were using the address book, but two, the problem with that is when someone shares with SMS, they leave the platform. And so what we wanted to do is keep you within the 5 by ecosystem. And the great thing about this was we quickly saw that it was working on 5 by and we adopted it on StumbleUpon as well. We, we, we released SMS sharing and a better conversations feature on, on StumbleUpon. And within a week, um, it had surpassed Facebook as the second biggest um, sharing mechanism on Facebook. So it, we knew SMS was working. Um, so 5 by just um, on, when was it? On um, Wednesday, um, released its uh, um, new version, which is, you know, finding and sharing and having conversations around video. Um, and it's now in the App Store and in the Play Store, and uh, we're super excited about it. Again, because we're learning so much on the Stumble side, and it's so cool to have a, a much smaller product team launching, and, and, and it's a full Agile team just launching and, and going, which has been fun. Sounds like a, a match made in heaven, huh? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's been great. I mean, I think the average age is 25, <laughs> and it's a full Canadian team, um, and so the guys are having fun. That's amazing because, you know, video, everyone's going into video now. Even us, you know, us as an agency, everyone comes like, hey, do you guys do video and things like that? So that's the next big thing. And I guess, you know, what that one of the questions there is like, you know, when do you know it's it's the right time to, you know, you know, put put, put an M&A process into into action? That's a great question. We, I, you know, it, it was quite fun when you when you put your M&A hat on, you've really got to put as a CEO, you've got to put your VC hat on. And VCs are, are making directional bets every day. 
they're looking at where the where's the industry going, where's the space going, and what horse do I need to back? And we got to the point where it was, well, do we build or buy this? So we could build Stumble Video internally and heavily promote it, or we could take this team that's executing incredibly fast, um, that has, has started with mobile first, and, and buy that team and bring them in. So the first debate you've got to have is, you know, do I build this or do I buy this? And how do I leapfrog into this area very quickly? The second thing we were seeing was, the amount of time that our own users and that users in the industry were spending on video. I mean, we saw the, the I mean, the AOS Ice Bucket Challenge just validated that for us. I mean, if you saw how people were uploading Facebook and communicating on Facebook, normal users, this was not production stuff. This was people very comfortable communicating on video. Again, that was a, that was a big leap for us where, again, validated that we're going into the right space. Um, the other thing we're seeing is that it, it, the, the way the web was moving is it's just becoming quicker and easier to upload great content. And you're seeing that with Vine. You're seeing that with Snapchat. And so we saw all the indicators moving in that direction. And back foot. And I think now with the timing, we've actually ended up in a good position where you've got a lot of these bigger content partners, bigger studios that are looking for distribution but they're looking for distribution on mobile. And the advantage we have is that we've got a mobile-first platform. It's very quick and easy to share content. And so then you go out and you partner with these bigger content creators where I think that's a, that's a key to your distribution and your growth strategy for a, for a video startup is go and partner with great content creators and bring those content creators onto your platform and then do co-marketing arrangements with them and let them promote the application because great content will bring users into the platform and then that in turn drives growth. And StumbleUpon has a fantastic monetization strategy as well. So one of the things we do incredibly efficiently and very well is monetize our content. And so we can, as the, the mothership StumbleUpon can then subsidize that as well and say to some of these content creators and these big partners, look, we'll even give you a rev share. Come in, give us your content, our users have a great experience, and guess what? We can monetize this incredibly well as well. So um, if we scale, we'll then give you a rev share as part of that. So that brings in the content creator. You give them distribution, and later on, you give them revenue. Um, our users win because it's a mobile-first experience, and they're getting all this great content. So it's got to be reciprocal. You've got Your content creator's got to win, and we've got to win at the same time. Got it. And so, you know, if, if I'm using FiveBuy or let's say I want to advertise on, on StumbleUpon, you know, my assumption is I'm going to be able to advertise on FiveBuy eventually or is that happening already? Um, it's happening with, with some limited partners. Um, okay. So we haven't opened it up to, um, we, haven't, we haven't actually integrated it into the StumbleUpon system, which is self-serve and, and managed at the same time. But it's exactly the same thing if you think about it. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, with StumbleUpon, you click, you click, you click. Then you get a piece of content that looks and smells exactly like a normal piece of content that's targeted to you. We say it's sponsored. And it's very easy to do that same thing with, with FiveByte because the flow is the same. You lean back, you swipe through, you see a great piece of content. And if you partner with the right people, I think, I think the good news here is advertisers and brands have cottoned on to the fact that a, people have banner blindness, so they're not clicking on as many of the, you know, the CPM model is slowly starting to change. Mm -hmm. And 
users have a great experience if you target them correctly and you give them a great piece of content. So we've all seen it, right? The, I mean, I remember the vitamin water campaign in New York where the guy's in, on the subway and he's, you know, he's, he's telling everybody how great his life is. And that was a great piece of content that did exceptionally well on StumbleUpon and on other, other networks. And so that's what I hope to see on, on FiveBuy as well. Great. Yeah, can't wait to check it out. You actually got, you know, Five Buy was on Product Hunt yesterday or the day before and, you know, yes. crazy upvotes. Um, so, you know, excited to check it out. So let, let's talk about something tougher. You know, let's talk about um, layoffs. You know, yeah. what what was your experience? You know, I've I, I read in the past, you know, you had to lay off kind of 30% of the staff. What was your experience with that? Yeah, so layoffs, you know, layoffs are not great, um, especially in a small company where, um, you know, Sometimes those layoffs don't, well, in, in StumbleUpon's case, did not correlate to performance or how people were doing. It was a decision we made based on what we wanted to focus on in 2013. And when I came in, what the focus point for me was product and engineering. And I felt that one of the things we had to do at StumbleUpon was improve the mobile experience and improve the community experience. So make sharing easier, make conversations easier. And in order to do that, A, we, we needed the cash flow to do it, but also we needed to focus on that. And so when you have bigger teams that are focused on, on marketing and on business, and at the same time, you're looking at where your focus is going to be for the next 12 to 14 months, um, then you've got to make some tough decisions. And so my advice to people would be is don't hesitate on that stuff. Once you've made your decision, move quickly and communicate very heavily and be very transparent with, with what I call the survivors, right? Because that's what sometimes people forget is, you know, the executive team and the board is very concerned about, you know, how are, where are people going to land and how's this going to be perceived? And my advice to people is, A, focus on, you know, once it's done, make sure you focus on the people that are left because those are the people that are going to have to, you know, help you get through the next 12 months. And the second thing is, for a, for a company like StumbleUpon with a big community, what tends to happen is we focus on the value. So we focus on what will investors think? What will the press think within Silicon Valley? And the majority of your users are actually outside of the valley. So you're, the millions of users that use StumbleUpon uh, on a monthly basis are not thinking about layoffs. They're still just thinking about What's my experience going to be on, on StumbleUpon? And, and we sometimes lose sight of that. You tend to get very, in, you get very insular and focus on what investors and employees and what the press inside Silicon Valley are going to think. But we lose sight of what our community is going to think. And most of the time, your community just wants a great experience every day. And that's important when you're thinking about messaging and when you're thinking about how it's going to be perceived um, we tend to get a little too insular. So, so just remember that next time, that most of the time, the, the news hits, yes, it doesn't look that great, and then people move on. We were more concerned about making sure that our people found a good place, making sure that we supported people that were looking for new gigs, and then in turn focusing on people that were still at stubble. That's psychologically, how did that affect you? Because, I mean, it, this is, you know, you're, you transition from CFO to CEO, and then this is you kind of, you know, having to drop the news. So how did that affect you? you look, you, you, definitely, you definitely expend social capital when you do something like this. Um, you know, and coming, you know, becoming CEO internally 
differently as well. Um, you do get you, the, the advantage is that you you understand that you understand the company and you understand what needs to be done. Um, the downside is that when you are promoted from promoted internally, you don't have as much social capital as say a CEO coming in from the outside. So it, it takes it takes time to rebuild the company. We are the good news is. You know, we're back and hiring as fast as we can again, and that bet has paid off. And I think that's what tends to happen, right? In an economy like this where it's incredibly hard to hire and it's got even harder to hire, I think it would have been even tougher to do that reset in 2014. Because in 2013, the economy was, re- was starting to ramp and it was starting to get super hot, but it hadn't got to the point where at the end of, tw- you know, end of the year, last year, and now it's been absolutely bonkers. And so we definitely had a bit of, of flex there to, to be able to do it. The other thing I did was in 2013, 2014, I brought in a, VP, a, a new VP of engineering and a, a new VP of product, David Marks on the product side and Paul Antaki on the, on the engineering front. And it's been incredibly helpful for me. I mean, as a non-technical CEO, um, you've got to make sure that you have a team in place that can support you. And so Teal Newland in, in New York, um, having Edie Dextra on, on people operations and then Paul Antarki and David Marks. And then the other great thing we had was acquiring Five Buy. I've been able, you know, Greg Eisenberg, who's the CEO of, of Five Buy, is also now part of the leadership team, which has been fantastic for me. So, you know, going through that transition and then rebuilding the team, you have to make sure that you have that strong set of tenants that can support you through this because hiring is so key and so having people that can then go out and hire as well and the five by acquisition definitely helped us there as well because it sent a strong signal to the market that StumbleUpon was back we were we were we were, we were acquisitive and then um, there's nothing better than executing so when you execute you start to exercise that muscle again and people start to internally people see it and then you know i know press is a, is hype more than anything else but it does help because people see it out there they see the recognition and it definitely helps with hiring as well so the best way out of um restructuring is to execute put your heads down and start to get that validation from from the press and from outsiders and from your community that you're back and you're hiring Okay. Now, you alluded to, you know, being a non-technical SEO, you know, obviously bringing on a great VP of product and a great VP of engineering, you know, two different nuances. So how do you, you know, qualify these people? You know, what are some tricks you can share with the audience? Yeah. So um, leverage your board, leverage your investors as much as you can. Um, and so broaden the interview process as, as, as much as you can as well. Um, the other thing that I find attracts great talent when I'm, you, you're in a position like me where you're a non-technical CEO is make sure that the product person and the VP knows that when they come in, it's theirs. And that's very attractive to, to people that want to come into a company our size because my pitch to a lot of these VPs is, look, you are going to own product. You're going to own engineering. There's not, there's not going to be a dotted line to me. Yes, absolutely, I'm going to be involved. Um, but ultimately, this is your team to grow and this is your team to, um, to hire. And so that, that's very attractive to certain people because you get a lot of 
senior directors that want to come in and become VPs, but you know, some of them are starting to look at that CEO role as well. And mm-hmm. if you give them if you give them that type of independence, some people like that. I think is sometimes there's a bit of reluctance for people to join companies where there's a very technical founder because they're actually asking themselves, well, am I truly going to be running engineering or am I truly going to be running product or is there always going to be this dotted line? The other thing that I found was, 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 was critical for me was you have to do background, background checks. And I don't mean just did this person work there. You have to do in-depth background checks with um, former, former investors of the people that you're hiring, uh, former board members, former employees, and really get a good feel for who this person is. For me, at Stumble, one of the attributes I was looking for was, A, you have to be, you have to be comfortable with mystery and the unknown, um, and you have to understand the space. And that, for you know, bringing in David Marks, from, who was the former CTO and, and founder of Lumia, which is a B2B recommendation company, that was key for me, is I wanted a very technical product guy that could come in and obviously understand and see around corners when it came to rec, but at the same time, David was very comfortable in an environment where you're in a small company, where he'd run his own company, and I knew he could run on his own. And on the engineering side, um, what I wanted was someone who could execute very quickly. And bringing in Paul Antarki from Salesforce, Paul understood how to build teams. And that was one thing I, I keep asking the team is, do you want a maintainer or do you want a builder? And if you if you are hiring a builder, then the reference checks are, are key. Has this person been promoted internally? Has he built a team? Um, because we're not at the size where I want um, my head of engineering to be someone who maintains the product. I want someone who's going to be building things going forward. So you know, building mobile products, building um, publisher tools for advertisers. You, you've got to have someone who can build and reform teams. And so that was a long answer, Eric. But I, I, that, that building your executive team um, with the help of your board is probably one of the most important things a CEO does. It's a no. It's a good answer, and I'm, I'm glad that you you took the time to explain it because I, I think it's a lot of people. It's a lot of thing. It's a thing that. A lot of people overlook. Um, you know, perhaps I can even you know get a list of questions that you ask. You know, when you do these reference checks, because I, I think you know reference checks are something that people half-ass a lot. Um, and yeah. I, I think it comes back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you with with reference checks, um, you you've got to make sure that you ask um, a double positive, which means that when don't don't set the person up for the for the right answer. So what t- people typically do is they say. Well, we work in a very pressurized environment here where we ship a lot of product. How will that person do in that environment? And so what the, ref- what the reference will say is, so-and-so is very good in this environment and works well under pressure. The questions you want to ask is, what type of environment does Eric succeed in? Now, there's no right answer to that because I've, in, the, in my mind, I know what the answer is. But the, the reference doesn't know the answer. And then you flip that and say, give me, what type of environment does this person not do well in? Because again, the reference doesn't know what the right answer is. And that's the right way to ask these questions because you don't want to set them up to give you the right answer. And so, and then the other question you should ask the reference is, give me another reference. Because you, what you want to do is you want to get someone, you want to talk to someone 
who the candidate has not given you because that's where you're going to get some of your most honest answers and honest assessments on the person because you typically find that you know references will uh, will give you what you want to know but what you want to do then is 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 go to that second level of separation and and find out you know find out the answer the, the other great tip i learned the other day was when you're interviewing someone you should ask them um, what would this reference say when I speak to them? Because that gives you your first data point. Because you, A, you're going to get, probably get an honest answer from the candidate. And then you can take that and you can go to the reference and you can ask that question. And the other thing that the advice I'd give is templatize your questions. Make sure you ask the same questions each time. Don't ask every reference a different question because it starts to become inconsistent. So have your set of questions and then go and ask those, ref those, those references the same questions. And that tends to give you a bit more consistency as well. It's amazing how many times people don't do references. And it bites you. And I feel like, yes, the interview process is, um, is good, but it's flawed. And the reference checks and those second-degree reference checks are probably where you're going to find out most of what you want to know about the candidate. Because what I've found is... Those references tend to give you – it tends to help you with the first when, – when, when, when a candidate that you've hired tends to do something that's, that's out of character, that's when it worries me. And so when a reference has said, hey, this is how he or she acts under pressure, it helps me because it helps me manage them. The last question I ask is, what will this candidate do in the first 100 days? So in the first 100 days, you know, it's kind of like uh, the president, right? You know, the, the press always tend to take that first 100 days and say, what is what has she or she done in the first 100 days? And I find it's useful because it tends to tell you a little bit about the personality. Sometimes the, the answer will be, well, she's going to sit and do nothing. She's going to listen for the first 100 days. Yeah, sometimes I get an answer, no, she's going to break glass. And she's going to break glass in the first 30 days. And then it helps me say, well, you know, is this the person I want? So, again, there's no right answer to that. But you're gonna get it. You're gonna get a good piece of feedback. Got it. Yeah, great questions. You know what I'm gonna do after this? I'm, I'm gonna have my my editor put these questions together as a checklist. So you know we're gonna offer it to, to everyone. Um, you know one one good thing I, I you know one thing I learned from from Scott Cook of Intuit. Um, you know the question he asks, and he asks a lot of the same questions you ask is, you know, how does this person stack up to to their peers? You know, on a scale of one to ten. And you know when you find them saying lower than eight or nine, you know you know there's something wrong. Yes. Um, yeah, that's that's a great question. I always find that finding a can looking at a candidate uh, that that has been promoted internally at the existing company and recognized by their peers is a is always a good sign. Someone who has jumped from company to company and been promoted through the jump, that's a bit concerning. And so sometimes people say, "Oh, well, you know, it's 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 a bad sign if someone's been at the company for a while. Well, not 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 a bad sign if they've been constantly promoted within the company, and you can see that they're progressing and they're hungry. There's nothing wrong with that. I think some of your best VPs come from people that you prepared to underwrite and say, well, you know what, you're, you're a senior director here or you're a director here, but you're you're whip smart and you're hungry. I'm going to make you a VP. I'm going to take the chance on you. Sometimes those are the best candidates. Got it. Cool. So, last few questions from my side. Um, you know, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your your twenty five year old self? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say, um, be curious, and you have more time than you think. 
So, you know, I look back over, you know, from 35 to 25 and the amount I've learned over those 10 years is, is be more open to experimentation and, and be more curious because I think at 25, I, I was worried that my time was running out, that I had to make a choice and do this. And I think that uh, if I'd known how much time I do really have, I mean, think about it. Go back 10 years from 25, you're 15. How, how much did you learn from 15 to 25? And I feel like from the next 10 years, I'm 37, 38 now, I lose track. I'm, you know, over the next 10 years, by the time I'm 48, I mean, I think I'm going to have learned even more. I think it actually goes up exponentially. So, yeah, take, take your time and there's more time than you think. I love it. No, because, you know, it's, it's kind of how the, the crisis I'm going through right now. So I love it. Cool. That's something I'll take to heart too. Um, what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Don't check your email first thing in the morning. Wake up, have breakfast, shower, stretch, do, do, do some exercise, and then block out your time in the morning for... Um, two hours or an hour and a half to get through that initial tranche of email. Um, I found that getting up early in the morning, I get up at 5.30 in the morning, I, I exercise, I have, have a healthy breakfast, but I don't check email because I find that if I, once I sit down and block out time, which is early in the morning before the rest of the day has started, um, I tend to get through the majority of my email and then get to work and you know, a good example is today, I, by the time I got to work, I'd had my block of email response and doing a lot of the admin. And so I can sit down and have a, I can be completely present now while I'm talking to you. And so I find that if you wake up in the morning and start to haphazardly check email, it's a huge time drain and you're not productive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a way for me to manage email very effectively so that when I get in in the morning, I'm on time for my meetings. And I'm not being roped in by, by emails from the past. But it also allows me to have an energized morning because the worst thing you can do is wake up and check email because that screws up your, you know, that, 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 that 30 to 40 minutes where your body is waking up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have a much more productive day if, I have, if I'm really regimented early in the morning. I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, final question. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? Yeah, so I would, um, I would say it's um, the, it's Endurance by um, it's the Ernest Shackleton. It's the Shackleton book um, where um, it's about you know this expedition to um, to the South Pole and and how you know the ship got gets stuck and this captain has to Shackleton has to take this team and has to motivate them and has to plan around a lot of uncertainty and move this team safely to, to the mainland. And I was reading this last year, and it just, it, there are so many correlations to, to running a team and building a team. And it's completely unrelated to technology. But if you look at how he had to recruit a great team, how the type of temperament really mattered, and how he had to deal with, with crew members that were, you know, they were thinking about mutiny and some people were demotivated and then keep going and get to get to the mainland. I thought it was incredible um, and just a great book to think about. And, and then I, I know there was only one, but I think the David Plouffe book on the audacity to win, talking about Obama's early campaign 
Um, again, just a brilliant book, non-tech related, but just how this young senator builds this team, the scrappy startup, and you know turns it into this massive campaign that goes on to win the presidency. The Audacity to Win is an amazing book to read. So yeah, two fun books. Okay, great. And I, I think these these two books tie around you know what it takes to really win when you're building a business, right? Absolutely. Be comfortable with uncertainty. Build a, a, a crack team and deal with with a lot of setbacks and keep going. I mean, that's the theme and you'll, you, you know this, Eric, as I, as I do, that, that's, you know, coming in every day. You know, the, the advice someone gave me when I took over was, you know, as CEO, when you get good news during the day, go home because in the next 30 minutes, something else is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Well, Mark, thanks so much for, for sharing your time with us today. We definitely need to have you on the show again sometime soon because there's a lot to talk about. But everyone, this is Mark. Bartels from StumbleUpon, and everyone should go check out 5 com as well. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Eric. Cheers. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out SingleGrain. SingleGrain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out SingleGrain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.